Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. We're recording live from the pond. From the I'm, pond. From the pond. I am John. I'm Tony. He is Tony. And we are here today sponsored by theturtleroom.com. Please check us out. Also check us out on our website, thepondcast.com. Yeah, thepondcast.com. We have our own, URL yeah. We uh, we ponied up the dough and got that and got that URL. So go straight to there, and you can add comments, suggestions, anything we're going to talk about. We'd love to have feedback. We'll mention that again, uh, but you can do that at thepodcast.com. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we're actually at the we're recording this at the end of a long herpticulturist day. Mm-hmm. Tony, you want to tell them a little bit about what we did today? Yeah, if you. Uh if you notice uh, any snoring um, when I'm talking, especially because I tend to put John asleep, oh boy, um, does it's he? Because ever. we've had a long day of um, herp-filled adventure. We um, we went herping today at uh, three or four different locations. Four different. I think locations. it ended up being four. Yep, four different locations, and we were able to catch some snakes and a bunch of different turtles. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think we got we got some good content that we're going to be putting on the uh, the YouTube the Turtle Room YouTube channel. Uh, please check that out. Uh, there's 160 subscribers already right now, which is good. That means that there's plenty of people listening. Yeah, it's a new it's a new channel too, and those yeah. go up every day. I mean, there's been a few days where we've gotten like five or six, six subscribers, and it's still you know it's still a modest little channel, but um, it's it's exciting for us anyways to have you know to have it kind of get such good feedback so quickly. So hopefully, it continues to grow. Right, and um, we're going to be having those up probably within the next week or so, um, depending on d- 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 what day is it today? Saturday. We're recording Saturday the 27th. This will be out. By the time you're listening to this, we'll probably have some of those up. Can I tell you something amazing? Yeah. I just pulled the tick out of my leg. That's Darn. pretty gross. Yeah, see, we were supposed to we were supposed to check each other thoroughly when we got back, and we didn't do that. We forgot. Obvi. <laughs> it was pretty... I mean, that was that one. We were in a brushy... Um, behind a building complex area, and uh, I, I found three just crawling around on my jeans. Yeah, that's not good. Um, yeah, that's a little that's a little bugger. It's actually a big bugger, which is good. So hopefully he won't give me Lyme disease. You gotta flush that thing down the toilet, though. That's the only way. Let me put it in your drink. Do not. I don't want a tick swimming around in my beer. I just want listeners to know this really just happened. I was talking. We were talking, and I was itching my leg, and I felt something there. I went to pull it off and felt that it was stuck and realized it was a tick that was dug into my skin. Yeah. It was oh. pretty gross. I watched it all occur. This is true. I can't. I feel like people aren't going to believe this. Like, no, it's something that we definitely... It's something that is a, an important thing. It comes up all the time when you're outside. Wow. That's amazing. It's not... Um, Couldn't was have it, was it like the head like was stuck in the skin, or was it just yeah, crawling around? Yeah, I think his little... Is, uh, if the head is under there, you could get it. You can, yeah, it could be infected. Yeah, I, I, I think his head came off and is inside my leg still. That's not good. So, just not good. Live in the dream, you know. Live in the dream. So yeah, so we we saw some cool stuff today. It was worth it. it was worth the tick that I just found in my leg. Um, I just think it's gross the way they move. Really, more than anything, that's the only thing that I'm bothered by. Are you still talking about ticks if right now? If they're gonna suck my blood, then suck away. But. Just don't move such a weird way. Where are you going? I was just putting the tick in something, so I didn't have to just leave it around. Yeah, he's his his head's not there, but he's just crawling around. He's well, crawling crawl right out of it. Maybe his head is there. I don't know. Hold on, we're gonna take a we're gonna take a uh, a twenty second break that you're not gonna know because we're gonna edit. 
But we're gonna take a break for just a minute and uh, and dispose of this tick. That's good. It's not good. If we're stopping right now, just check me. Just pause for a second, yeah. Just drop them. I am. <laughs> so we each found two ticks on us, but I win because mine was embedded. Hold up, get up, take your pants off. Yeah, I got to take... It's... Huh? All right, I'm going to take my socks off, too. Take your pants off. Let's go. They're going off. Do I have anything? No, you got you to gotta move slower. You got a lot. You got a lot of area to check. <laughs> What's that guy? Uh, that's good. That's yeah. That's a mole. That's just a beauty mark. I like to call it. Okay. Because I'm beautiful. I feel like the the kids in. <laughs> I feel like the kids in. Um, Stand by me. Yeah. <laughs> with the, yeah. the leeches all over them. Yeah. Oh my gosh! This is wild. Okay, so we took a break from some of that, but we basically just. Stopped and checked each other for ticks, which is... Um, you got to be thorough, folks. Yep. And it's also something perfectly normal that friends can do for each other. Right. And also perfectly haunting. A thing that I'll never forget. Yeah, well, that's because of the way I look, not because of the activity itself. So right. Don't knock it until you do it with somebody with a good physique. I love... You know, I have to... Ma- I'm, I'm going to... Let me go ahead and stop you right there. <laughs> <laughs> we are... We're in... Um, we're recording in Tony's house right now, in the turtle, his turtle room. Yep. Do you have a name for the room? Perhaps mm. the pond. I think would work great. So this is going to be the pond. Go down to the pond, yeah. But um, there's you got a lot of really cool stickers here, on your um on your your incubator. Yeah. So I was just no, I just you, you, where'd you get them? It's my sticker collection. Well, the TSA. If you join the Turtle Survival Alliance, they send you a sticker every year with their. Um, I like this one. The one with all the uh, endangered river terrapins. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I have another one, too. I can give you one, actually, because they sent that one yeah. two years in a row. Yep. Oh, cool. Yep. And then my little reptile beauty contest, reptile rally, and some ZooMed stickers, ExoTerra, Redfoot Rescue. The Turtle Survival Alliance is a great organization, and we were just talking about this, actually. We could we should bring it up here. Um, if this is something that you're interested in, there's a lot of benefits, and we could probably do a whole episode on this. There's a lot of benefits to being involved in a... A society or a group of people that uh, that have your they share your same interests. You can go, you know, you can get a lot of a lot of positives out of that. And we just today joined the the New York Turtle and Tortoise Society, right? Which is a good one for anyone in the Northeast, right? Well, and anywhere or anywhere, yeah. I mean, yeah, you can New still York support them for anywhere. You may not be able to get for all the get out for all the um, events, but a lot of people travel to New York, so why not do it around a reptile centric meeting that would be happening in the city. I mean, right. it doesn't get any better than that. So now now that I'm a member and John's a member, I can schedule my trips to see him in the city around that and finally get my butt out there. Right. Sorry, John. Only it's it's only been two years and he hasn't been to visit me yet. But but put, have... put something with a shell down there and he's he's, he's ready to take That's a trip. Right. <laughs> I have a life, okay? I've got two dogs, a wife, a house. I don't have time to go gallivant through the You city. definitely put those all in the wrong order. <laughs> not necessarily in that Oops. order. Freudian slip. Is there anything else that happened today, herping that we want to? Well, we got we caught a couple big snappers, which is cool. And snap, snappers are a big um, a big issue right now um, in Connecticut because um, people are coming from all over to commercially harvest them, and 
the DEEP here is now um, the DEEP, the, De- the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. Is, energy? Yeah, they just it was DEP and they added the E for energy. So I don't, I don't know the whole story, but I just know they added it. So, anyways, they're they're looking to um, to stop uh, the harvesting of eggs and also um, putting a season on um, turtles and also a bag limit. So you can only take five full-grown snappers a day. So only, like... That's what the limit's going to be? Yeah, it's only, like, 200 pounds of snapper right. a day. So not that much. I, I think that sounds like a lot of snappers. I know. That's what I was hoping you'd But think. snappers, all, you got to be careful, because snappers also a fish. Uh, you can just yeah. fry up some snapper. It's a fish. Yeah, but not normally found in swamps. Swamps, bogs, and vernal pools. But... I'm just saying careful with your, your wording. The phraseology. I think that's my favorite word now. Phraseology. I say that all the time. Your favorite word that's not a word? Right. Yeah. Okay. It's my favorite Bushism. Okay. The phraseology. Is that actually a Bushism that he made up? I don't It might be. I don't know. He brought a lot to this country. Listen, fool me once. I'm not going to do the whole thing. Um, <laughs> that's great. I uh, won't get fooled again. So I also have one more update I'd like to... Um, I'd like to share with everyone. Let's go. Spit hot fire. Um, on our last broadcast. He put podcast. that in air, in air quotes. I'm not sure I why. Did. Why did. is that in air quotes? Because it's not a broadcast. It's a podcast. More, more. Right, but you play this for your, you play this for Auntie Anne. She's not going to know. The, just say we're on the radio, Auntie. Okay. We're on the radio. <laughs> Coming to you on the radio Honey, waves. we're on the radio. Live from <laughs> Caesar's Palace. Um... Yeah, so uh, last time I, I let everyone know about um, my new project, uh, actually our new project that Steve and I um, took on um, from Ben, our other partner at the Turtle Room, uh, for Vietnamese black-breasted leaf turtles, which mm. are awesome. They're awesome. If you haven't seen these, look them up. Um, they have, they're small turtle, they look like a leaf, and they have the coolest owl eyes you've ever seen. They're just wild. So... Um, anyways, I uh, had them under my care for about 10 days, and they laid the female laid two eggs, which is really awesome. I mean, vast majority of the time, this species only lays one egg in a clutch, and she laid two. I couldn't believe it when I found them. I almost jumped out of my chair. So um, they're cool. <clears throat> Look at uh, uh, search that on the internet if you don't know what that this turtle looks like. It's really cool. They're, it looks like a chicken. We've talked about it before, but it looks like a chicken, a turtle with four chicken legs. <laughs> And you said the Google guys, yeah, we already made that joke. I'm embarrassed. We're just double. We're repeating our material on from like the last ten minutes of last time's episode. Right. That's when we talked about this. Well, but that's okay. Check it out though. This is this, the news is good though. The news, the new stuff. Right. It's good news, and why not drive it home? So deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, with that project came a lot of excitement about the Geoemida genus in general, um, which is the genus that the black-breasted leaf turtle belongs to. Within that genus, there's another species, um, Geoemida japonica, the Japanese black-breasted leaf turtle. Ryuku. Yes, Ryuku. 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 I don't know if the first Y is silent. Ryuku. Ryuku? Is that what you looked up? I don't know how to pronounce it. Ryuku. I looked up how it was spelled. There are no eyes in it. Ryuku. Let's go with Ryuku. Ryuku? Ryuku. Ryu. <laughs> Ryuku. Okay, so anyways, there's a rare, there's a rare turtle there, and um, 
John. It's called the Ryukyu Black-Breasted Leaf Turtle. Well, would you like to explain what Yeah, there's a lot of issues with this turtle because... So in 1976, it was placed on uh, a list that the Japanese government has for natural national monuments in an effort to start really helping its conservation because it was dying out. And it's since been placed on IUCN's list. I don't know if it was, what the timing was on that same. I think a lot of that stuff happened in 1996, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure when they were listed. Their list so, is endangered on IUCN. And they were just um, added to CITES this year, only this a couple year. months ago. Right. But the, according to Japanese law, in the 70s it, it began that it is illegal to tamper with them in any way or to export them in any way from Japan. Yet, however, there are some of these animals in America. So the question that is raised is morally and ethically, is it right to have these animals here? The, are are we, if we're building a, a breeding program here, is that okay? Is it, is it a problem that it's here and that these animals may or may not ever be able to go back to Japan or be, back to their natural habitat? For any reason, now that they're, they've, they've obviously been taken out a long time ago, is it okay to have them here is the, the main question. Right. And, and just to help everyone understand how, how it worked usually is that they were smuggled out of Japan to other countries which acted as a middleman, and then they were right. legally... Vietnam, China, They were legally... Philippines exported from there, the ones that are here, to the United States with paperwork. Right. So they're really here... Paperwork from that country. They're here legally. However, Japan knows that in 30 years they only signed paperwork to export 20 of them. So why are there... So why are there really any? Right. Um, It poses an interesting uh, question, interesting debate. Uh, There there was a a very... um, Interesting article written by David Lee for the, uh, I believe, the Asian Turtle Consortium. Asian Turtle Consortium. Which, nice uh, job. You've been having trouble saying consortium lately, but you did. Yeah, I'm nailing it now. now. I'm nailing it. Yeah. Practice makes perfect, John. Practice yeah. makes perfect. I stand, in front of a, I stand in front of a mirror quite often. Uh, so there was an article written by them, uh, by him in 2003, which touched on this exact topic. So I'm researching them, and then I find this. I say, you know what? This is an interesting debate because... The thought is, if you're a conservationist, uh, conservationist at heart, then your your preference is to, to, to want to be able to help the species or any species that's rare, uh, and um, maybe keeping them isn't always the the right way. The, these would never be sent back to Japan. They're not going to take them back, and they shouldn't be exported or, or smuggled anymore anyway, so... But see, this is my problem with it, is that it's not... We're not promoting the smuggling by having them here now. The, if you have one here, it's and it was born here, then it was whatever. It's like a naturalized citizen. It's been grandfathered in. What can... Why Why should we feel bad? This right. is absolutely the, the... That's how I thought about it when I started researching. I'm still not actually... I'm not positive about how I feel totally right now, but... The, the question has been raised, and now I'm at least mulling it over. 
and I think the mulling it over part lasts a while with this sort of thing because yeah. there's so many things that come into well, it. There's, yeah, it's a lot of gray areas. When I first researched it, I had to ask a few people what they thought, or, or and, and I'm looking up old old threads from um, from forums on the internet what people have said, and um, something that else that comes up that's kind of a parallel story but a little further along is the bearded dragon. So. The bearded dragon is protected in Australia, um, very much so, and Australia has really strict uh, laws about um, the exportation of their of their animals. And um, the bearded dragon, basically, that is all over the world, uh, arrived there illegally, vast majority of the time. So much like our Geoimida japonica, is it? Ethically, is it morally just to have that animal? Now, I personally don't see them as one and the same because the bearded dragon has been bred so so readily, right. so it, readily. It just available. so happens that they flourish yeah. in, in captive situations, right? And there's I'm, there's so many generation upon generation of of bearded dragon um, having been and being bred in captivity. So, does that make the, does it make a difference? Do you have any thoughts on that, John? Well, I mean, how, how far back are we going to go? So you're saying that if you have uh, a red-eared slider here, for instance, you have a red-eared slider, someone took that red-eared slider out of the wild back far enough to now, you know what I mean? Like, it came from the wild somehow. We have, quote-unquote, domesticated it. Good point. However, we're not talking about animals coming from the wild because animals come from the wild But we the are time. talking Still about today. animals coming from we're the wild. We're not. We because are. we're talking, we are, but we're talking about breaking the law. Because there's laws in place that say that you can't. The reason why this is so taboo is because the animal is so rare and so rarely exported that you can see that that wasn't just picked up, that that wasn't captive bred in in Denmark because nobody's captive breeding them and they weren't exported. So nobody's had them to captive breed them. So it's not really the same as taken from the wild. It's different. Right, but so my point being, and again, I'm not 1,000% sure that I feel this way, but at least to play devil's advocate, why am I respecting the law of Japan's conservation law mm-hmm. when it took them until this year to even to even put them on, get them on CITES? Right. They're obviously not doing enough. No, I think that's the first animal they've had on CITES. It is, and yeah. that's why this this article. Interesting. Yeah, so they, maybe they, they are trying to. They're trying to step up their conservation game, as it were. But yeah. too little, too late, guys. It's still, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, why, if I can keep this species alive here, even if it's illegal, why am I respecting this law? Well, I think it's, it poses an interesting, an, an interesting debate, and I, I think we're getting into that already. Something that kind of popped in my head is try to look at it from the other side. So it's like an indigo snake ending up in Australia. Okay. An indigo snake ending up in Australia, and the U.S. knowing that they only exported, you know, 20 indigo snakes, and it was a long time ago, and now, you know, people have them. If the indigo snake, see, and I'm glad that you said that, because I hadn't thought of it that way, but if the indigo snake is flourishing in northern Australia or in the bush or somewhere like that, it's good for them. 
But also, I mean, it's invasive, which you, but like, because that's, it all comes back to getting them in the wild and the species being alive. You don't want the species to be dependent on being fed with tongs. You know what I mean? Like, they're not supposed to be in a tank. So you're saying you would want that animal to be in the wild? I don't know. No, you wouldn't. I I don't want it to be in the wild because it's invasive and that's, but like, it's, it bothers me that, why does it matter? If Australia can can have a, if a a zoo in Australia wants to have a a captive breeding program for indigo snakes, then by all means, smuggle them out of here, wear them down your pants in the airport, and (laughs) get them out and do it. I think that, I trust you if you're going to go through all that trouble to get them here. They wouldn't. They they shouldn't be in the wild. We saw what happened. No, they shouldn't with, be in the wild. That we was... saw what happened with the cane toad in Australia. Oh yes, we did. Yes, Firsthand. Yes, we did. So, what happened with the cane toad in Australia? <laughs> you don't know about the cane toad in Australia? I mean, it's a it's a monster. It's a monster. Oh, is that the thing from the Simpsons? That Simpsons episode? Yes, it's the thing from the Simpsons episode. Yeah, that's right. When yeah. Bart gets kicked with the big boot. Yes. Yeah, so I think. Um, uh, crocodile hunter uh, back years ago, a decade ago now or so. Did we eat them? Uh, we're gonna hold on. We're gonna take a break. The crocodile hunter came up in a natural situation. We're gonna go look at our picture of him for a few minutes and reminisce. Be back. And we're back. And we never left, but may he rest <laughs> in peace. So um, he did. A, he did an episode on on invasives, and that was the reptile that came up there. Probably a bigger deal than the. Um, Burmese python in the Everglades here, uh, if you were to compare the two. It's probably a bigger deal. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, this brings up just so many different different parts of everything, you know. Right. It, would it be bad to have an indigo snake in a zoo in Australia? Probably not. And if um, paper paperwork to have the animal shipped there was signed, which usually historically has been for pretty much any animal you can think of, those are probably the reasons why, especially in the olden days. But in, in, but in, in, reverse, in reverse, though, uh, as Australian, are Australians pissed about bearded dragons here? I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't speak. Right. For that's what I. I mean. That's the question that I want to. That I want to because we can We have. You know, the indigo snake is a hypothetic thing. But something that you touched on was Tom Crutchfield um, conservation through commercialization. It's just an idea. We're not saying we agree with this, but it just poses an interesting thought that I'm, that oftentimes uh, herpetoculturists kind of live by. So, because the bearded dragon was smuggled here by you know, certain people in the past, they've become stable here. They've become stable here. Well, I think it's probably, you know, many groups that, that, that did so um, over a course of, of, you know, a given amount of time. But they've become a mainstay here, to say the least. Uh, interesting fact, roughly 100,000 bearded dragons are bred and sold here in the U.S. every year, annually. And... Is that helping wild bearded dragons that's, in Australia? See, that's what the whole issue is. Is it helping bearded dragons as a population? I think it probably, depending on how you look at it, I, mean, I think it probably is. It's helping those bearded dragons in Australia because there's no need to risk your neck to to smuggle in lizards that cost $15 right. when they're, you know, hatchlings. Right. So I think... There is a little bit of merit to that, but the problem that I find with that is that majority of the time, 
it's not going to end up being a ball python. It's not going to end up being a bearded dragon that just does so well in captivity. Right, that's kind of a. An it's going to end up being Geoemina japonica that there's only a few, and now what did you smuggle them for? That's not helping the species. Well, but so that so then I go okay to harken back. So then, if is it is the species alive? Is it is it extinct if it only exists in a tank in at the you know at the Cincinnati Zoo? I think it is. Okay, interesting well, though you bring that up. It, when you look on the IUCN, one of the one of the um, designations that an animal could have is extinct in the wild. Right. Which happened recently with the. Um, with the Vietnamese leaf, uh, yeah, pond turtle. Vietnamese pond turtle. Sorry, getting all my Vietnamese turtles mixed up. So uh, they all look alike. Maremis inanemsis, um, which which was extinct in the wild, and now it's like a forty dollar, fifty dollar turtle here. And some of those have actually been brought from the U.S. to Vietnam. Some of the um, some of the some of the young, but so my, then my my point being then before we even get ahead of that, why are they dead in Vietnam in the first place? Well, that's the other thought too, and that's what I wanted to get in, and I and I, I missed that one. Hopefully, the world changes so that these animals can be kept alive, especially the really rare ones, like right. the, like the the species I just I just noted, so that when the world changes. The animals will be here, but that's okay. That, that's the the Walt Disney, Ted Williams, cryogenic frozen. It, okay, so we're gonna freeze your head so that freeze your head. We're, we're gonna freeze your head so that when <laughs> when we have the technology to re- reattach you to do a brain transplant, we'll transplant you. But like, is that? I don't think it's quite like that. I think it's almost exactly like that, <laughs> except that Geomita japonica never made anything to make children feel better. Okay, Disney has done all that. Point being, don't get me started on Aladdin. That's the point. Great. Uh, I just don't. It's what we're basically looking for is a whole new world. Nice. Thanks. That was nice. Aladdin. That was Aladdin. Thanks. Mm. Good. Um. So I never had a friend like that. <laughs> okay, that was too much. Too much. <laughs> I just don't. I I I feel I'm feeling more militant. I want to go and free that. You know, like I want. I'd rather do something. Conservation-wise, I feel like we need to do more and stop the whatever the behavior is that made them. We have to handle us first before we can save all these species, and we're not. And, and that's the issue, right? But and I, in the meantime, species are going to die. It's, I mean, right? It's, it, I I don't want that to happen. It breaks my heart. But, but that's the age-old, the age-old moral thing to look at as far as this stuff goes. The animals are dying at an accelerated rate. Species are dying out at an accelerated rate because of the activities of human humans. Whether it's whether it's uh, firsthand us going out grabbing the animals, eating them, trading them in the pet trade, or from them dying on roadways, or from things that happened in the 1800s, like on the Galapagos and and you know the with, witch with the other giant yeah. tortoises. So, I mean. It's happening anyways, so why should we not step in and try to at least weather the storm until laws change or the world changes? That's what they, The chances of the world changing is the title of a really, I think, powerful movie um, documentary that is just awesome. And it's basically uh, the, the story of a man who has... An, Three brains. A, a countless 
a countless amount of um, endangered species that he's basically holding on to and waiting for a time when hopefully the world can change. Is this a real man or is this science fiction? This is a real man, a real documentary movie. It's really quite Is it available on Netflix? I don't know. You you watched it, though. I do. I have it. You can borrow my copy. Oh, you own a copy? Yeah, I watched it the other night. I actually think... I got a DVD player in my apartment now. I actually think some of my turtles may have come from here. Oh, boy. Pretty cool. But the, the thing about it is that he's such a great guy and his heart's in the right place, but... The world isn't a, necessarily a place that makes it easy for any of this. It definitely isn't a place that makes it easier for endangered species. They're endangered for a reason, and that reason is us. So it's kind of a grim look at things. That re- and it is. No, but it's true. That reason is you and me. It's not. Yeah. You, we have a tendency to think of it as all these other people, but it's us. Right. I commute to work every day. Right. I've been driving past a female snapping turtle that's been on her back dead in the street for three months. And no one's moved it. It's a place where you can't really stop a car. There's no shoulder. You probably get hit yourself. Oh, that's you how. You, that's why you. But still. Yourself? But I mean, that's what. No, I know. It doesn't matter. When she's dead, she's. I dead. would normally. Move. Yeah, but I have you respect the enough for the animal. There. No, I, I have respect enough for the animal to move it, but I just. An interesting topic. Should we have animal funerals next week? <laughs> I, I I think that this. Again, this always seems to come back to what can we do. Right? Yeah. That's how always how I feel after we've researched something like this. And I don't I don't know that I need to respect the rules of Japan or the laws of Japan. If I feel like I'm doing a good thing, then I should do the good thing. I that goes only so far because you don't the reason that the law is there and it makes sense is that because then everyone doesn't do you know, you I think that it's good because only people who really care about it are gonna break that law. Mm-hmm. That's what I how how I feel about it. I mean can I can I can you Agree with that, or is that? Are I don't we know if I necessarily separate pages. I'm not going to fight with you right now. Well, no, I, I bring it on. No, 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 no. That's fine. I, I respect your outlook, and I think that. But the, so what? So what's your outlook? What can we do? Honestly, this goes back. Do, to do we send back all our japonicas? Send them back to Japan? Kill them? What do we do? You can't send them back to Japan. Japan exactly. won't take them. I know. Exactly. I know. It, it, what's the other option? To to humanely euthanize them? But that's that stupid. seems drastic and, make and sad. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what the right answer right. is. We don't. Kill, we didn't kill Elena right Gonzalez. Is, well, what? Yeah. Well, what the heck do you want me to do at this point? You know. Right. And I think that's probably the answer, and that's probably why nothing ever changes. Because right. That, all right. Well, what can we really do? And what happens if they breed? What happens if if captive bred? You know, animals that were bred here is that when they become Americans and it's right. not as big of a of an issue? I don't know. Right. Well, then, like you said, basically, that's we've all taken the stance of this one guy. Let's keep the, keep the, and I didn't. I'm just kind of this now. This is podcast listeners. You are hearing me connect the dots and become a new man. Light bulb. Right. <laughs> you did the tractor beam. Right? Tractor beam. <laughs> Suck me right in. No, we. So that's keep these this species alive until until which time we can release it back into. Or until which time we're dead and it releases itself. <laughs> so which time it figures out a way to kill us all. Right. That would be an interesting topic for another day. Yeah. But again, what John was alluding to a few minutes ago, how can you help? How can we help? And something that we spoke about right at the beginning of this broadcast, that's for Auntie Anne, um, was 
joining turtle and tortoise societies, reptile societies, herp, um, herpetological societies across the country or, or countrywide organizations, um, not just to support them with your membership dues, but also to meet like-minded people who also care and, and want to share because we all have similar experiences, not the same experiences, but similar experiences that have brought us to this hobby, to this set of interests. And if we can collaborate, then the work of few can be shared and utilized by many rather than having all of us have to use our own common sense more than we more than we want to and maybe making the same mistakes that other people have have made in the past. So, I mean, I hope that makes sense, but it really is important that we do collaborate and we're open. Sometimes people like to be hush-hush about things. Um, I used to keep morph reptiles years ago, and it seemed that everyone that was into morphs was were really secretive. They didn't want to share what they had. They didn't want to share what they knew about genetics or what they had found from from you know breeding successes and things like that. So I, I don't I don't agree with that. And I think that if we you know continue to share information and continue to try to care about these animals that we love so much, animals that we love so much that make us want to make podcasts or listen to podcasts about them, then. You know, I think we at least owe it to them to try to collaborate and, and be part of the same team. So get so Tony's advice, what we can actually do, get together and join the Turtle Survival Alliance or the New York Community of Turtles and Tortoises Incorporated. The New York Turtle and Tortoise or, Society or the, the or, or Turtle and Tortoise Preservation Group, Turtle Tortoise Preservation Group. TTPG. TTPG, that's a really good one. Or whatever your local branch is, your Albuquerque, New Mexico branch of turtles and tortoise fiends. Mm -hmm. I I think I have, we're going to end with this. I think that I would also like, I have something that we can do that I think is very practical and good. And we touched on it. There's probably going to be a a video about this. We, We did some of it today. I think that if you see a wild animal, the best thing you can do for it is chase it and try to catch it. I think we saw that today in evidence. Because if you try to catch it and it lets you catch it, then it's going to have a nice wake-up call that you can't do that anymore. Hopefully you'll be – if we – you see a turtle, you grab it, and you and just tell it how dumb it is for having been caught. Scare it. Give it a good scare. Teach it that it should be scared of us. Right. Like you, so that it's not caught by someone that will actually take it. Someone that will make it a, a <laughs> meal, yeah. I think that we need to totally – Get it through their thick shells that they're that we are bad, and and that we are actually being good. See what Steve did there? See how psychologically that works for me? I make it feel better. Speaking of Steve Irwin, I believe he used to do that. He did. He said that once or twice. He was teaching the animal to be scared of humans, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Right, and he was also teaching children to be scared of Australian accents. I don't think so. Human children, subadult, Homo sapiens sapien. I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. I was it kind of is weird to me. Um, well, I think that's that's it. We're going to wrap it up now. Do you have a trivia question? As John and Tony promised, here is this week's trivia question. But before we get to that, I want to congratulate Julie from Ontario, Canada, on getting the first correct answer in last episode's trivia. Here is this week's question: Name the species whom, in females and hatchlings, utilizes underwater vocalizations for communication. A couple of hints, this is not a crocodilian, and hatchlings travel with adults to feeding areas, sometimes miles away. We want both the common and species names. 
We will give out a pound of Missouri turtle or tortoise chow to the first correct answer from within the United States. If you're not in the U.S., we will find another prize. Please visit us at thepodcast.com to submit your answer.